Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and live in the suite, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, we didn't have too much juice up in Toronto. I don't know if our juice didn't come through customs, maybe, or we, we just <laughs> couldn't get it through the airport. We had a little juice in here at the Oracle Arena. We're in a beautiful luxury suite. Uh, everybody can check it out on my Instagram. We got fantastic uh, video documenting the catering you know we got a couple bags of chips and, and all sorts of other nice things we a private bathroom in here too oh yeah we're balling don't sell the sweet life short this is a big step up over <laughs> the abandoned hockey box that we had been <laughs> occupying north of the border life is good man i have no complaints here life is really good i'm happy because we got so many great questions from the open floor globe and we're going to get to all those but andrew i'm, I'm going through this rundown you sent me and i'm not sure there's enough heaters so i want to start off with the most heater of all heater questions okay did the warriors just punt a finals game did they just sacrifice game three you know bringing clay thompson and you know kind of putting him active but not actually having him play basically saying okay maybe we'll bring him back for game four Kevin Durant still not really getting that momentum to get back onto the court did they just punt away game three and I ask you that because on the last episode we discussed now they've got a buffer to play with right now they've got a little bit more uh, of room and flexibility to operate after winning that game two did they just use that buffer and say, you know what, we'll figure it out in game four? Okay, so this is a very difficult question to answer because I don't know if you know this about me, but I am not a doctor. And I have not been massaging Clay Thompson's hamstring over the last 48 hours. So maybe the injury is worse than any of us realized. Because Okay, okay but you are a media member and you heard other media members ask the Warriors directly, did you just sacrifice a finals game, right? <laughs> Well, what did they say? I didn't hear. I did not hear that direct question. Draymond was the one who was asked that. He got a little bit indignant, um, but he said, "You know, you would never do that." But he did kind of double back to the company line, which is, "Look, we're not going to take unnecessary risks. We want, don't want to do something where Clay Thompson gets injured in Game Three. And he's not available for later in the series." And that's sort of what Steve Kerr reiterated too in his post-game comments, basically saying, "Look, like." Uh, he, I think he said, quote, I couldn't live with myself if Clay had gotten hurt tonight because we pushed him out onto the court, right? Yeah. But, I mean, we were talking buffer before any of this even happened, and that kind of felt like a buffer, didn't it? Definitely. Uh, it's something I've wondered about, but at the same time, I understand if Clay was genuinely at risk of re-injuring it and making it worse and potentially costing him, like, the second half of the series then you have to be more cautious. And it does seem like that's the situation they were in versus last year when Clay had a sprained ankle and he could play on it without risking like permanent ankle damage or anything like that. I think this one is a bit of a trickier situation and that's the reason the Warriors approached it the way they did. Having said that, if your argument is essentially that the Warriors thought that they had control of this series after game two and we're just going to play it safe and not overreact and be as cautious as possible with clay and durant and sort of see where they are in game four that makes sense to me it seems crazy even for them no. the, the height of arrogance yeah, that, like, the arrogance is on 11 there. really really dangerous i'm not necessarily saying i think that but it was percolating i mean a lot of it, people were talking about it even as soon as the game started almost because they got into that big hole early and it was just so clear that it was like 
Steph Curry versus the world one on five once you're actually watching them try to score without Clay and yeah. know, Draymond didn't play very well and you're just kind of sitting there thinking like wait a minute like was this really uh, the calculation because look we can agree if it was game seven Clay plays right sure if they're down two zero Clay plays well so this is what I'm wondering about because I actually went the other direction than you did because mm. I think maybe that the injury is more serious than they've been letting on because I sat there on Tuesday and heard Clay Thompson tell the media, look, I want to be out there. Even if I can be out there at 80%, I'm going to be out there. I think I can be effective. And then he's not out there. So maybe that's the Warriors saying, you know, we don't fear the Raptors anymore. I think we're, we're going to be fine regardless. But maybe it's the Warriors saying, look, Clay, you're going to play no matter what. You would play if your leg was literally falling off. And the fact is, like, you're really putting yourself at risk being out there. And that, like, that would freak me out if I were a Warriors fan. The fact that he didn't play tonight is probably not a great sign. There was a real unalignment between what Clay was saying and then Clay walking around with that giant bandage right. on his leg and barely even and being able like to move. And kind of like hobbling to right. and fro, you know? Like, yeah. that's not a great sign the day before a finals game. Right. And so I, I appreciate his Warrior spirit, you know whatever you want to call it in terms of, you know, it's the first postseason game he's ever missed in his entire career out of more than a hundred. Um, obviously he wanted to be on the court. I think if it was up to him, he would have at least tried. Um, so, you know, it is a situation where if these were, you know, competing impulses, play or not play, clearly the cautious people won out. And I think we need to give a lot of credit to Toronto. I mean, that's a situation where you could let up, you know, mm -hmm. you, you go out there and you find out moments before tip off, as Kawhi Leonard said, they didn't have any advance warning about Clay's status that he's not going to play. And you start to think, Oh, you know, like, whew, you know, one less star that we have to worry about. And you're in a hostile environment. You know, as we talked about, the Warriors fans were very loud to start this game. They were very excited to have the series back here. They hadn't had a home game in like three weeks because of the way the Western Conference Finals went. So I think there was some built-up uh, excitement. Steph starts throwing haymakers right out of the gate. I mean, that's all a formula for a team to be back on its heels. And instead, Toronto was just completely steady the whole night through. Had an answer for every single bomb that Steph put up. Uh, got great contributions from all five of their starters and Serge Ibaka there late in the game. Had some pretty key plays as well. So yeah, uh, I thought it was impressive from Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wrote a, a recap on Sports Illustrated, and people can go read that now. But it's funny because, like, halfway through, I just start listing different sequences where different Raptors oh, yeah. stepped up. And, you know, Danny Green hit a pair of back-to-back -back threes midway through the third quarter. Kyle Lowry killed one of those Golden State runs at the end of the second quarter where it looked like it was going to be a really close game going into halftime, but Lowry gave them a little bit more breathing room. My guy Van Vliet stepping up on cue, as expected. Uh, hit a big shot in the third quarter, hit a big shot in the fourth quarter to really put the game away. And then Ibaka, like, really right up and down the roster. Kawhi had 30 again. To the point where I do think that that's the story coming out of it. I mean, we got to talk about how the Warriors look, too, because I've honestly never seen an NBA Finals team look the way they did in this game. I mean, they were just like so shorthanded, throwing stuff at the wall for roughly half the game. Basically, anything that wasn't a Steph shot felt like a crazy sequence where you're like, is this really the NBA Finals? I mean, it's Jonas Jerebko. It's like Andrew Bogut wobbling up and down the floor, and he actually gave them like 20 really solid minutes. Cousins did not look good in this game. Um, 
but beyond the the Warriors side of it, like I was just blown away by how impressive the Raptors were up and down the roster. I mean, this was like the type of thing where the Rockets had this opportunity and they did not come through. The Raptors had this opportunity in game two and they did not come through, but they came back and put their foot on Golden State's neck from start to finish today. It was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think, did you mention Marcus Saw? I mean, coming out and they were clearly trying to pound him on uh, on Cousins early. That kind of set the tone for the whole thing to me because, uh, you know, keeping him involved, getting his scoring going was was big. And then they, had, you know, went back to it, I think, in the se- uh, second half as well. So, I mean, like you're saying, every single guy had his moment. In terms of the never seeing a team look like this before, I mean, I think everyone was racing to the 2015 NBA Finals comparisons where, you know, Steph is yeah. now in this LeBron role where loves her Kyrie goes down after game one and you know his supporting cast is Jarebko-esque in that series and they get outlasted and outworked and just kind of you know outsteadied by Golden State just kind of slowly winning wars of attrition game after game after game uh, until he finally kind of goes down even though he was clearly like the central force in a lot of those games and uh, sure as that series unfolded it did kind of feel like that with Steph because as spectacular as he was, and Steve Kerr said after the game that, you know, Steph does stuff that no one else has ever done in, in the history of basketball. And when you're looking at, like, the slithery in-and-out dribbles, the step-backs to shots, uh, the, you know, splitting multiple defenders to get straight into a quick pull-up three, uh, you know, the ability to get to that mid-range game with touch off the glass. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that he does offensively. It's just such a a high level like other NBA all-stars dream of doing some of the stuff that he's doing you know pretty consistently in the middle of the finals yeah he never had control of the game tonight not once I think Toronto led for 45 minutes uh the last 45 minutes I think Golden State only had a one-point lead for like you know 30 seconds in the entire game they never even really made it that close in the second half and so that was really uh you know disorienting because usually when Steph is going nuts like that you know, because their overall baseline of talent around him is there too, they're winning that game by 30 points, right? And he's coming out and he's icing himself in the fourth quarter. I mean, historically, that's sort of been the case for Golden State. It's like he goes on one of those 20-point spurts and it's a blowout. Here he's doing it and, like, he's trying to get up a sand dune and he's not really making any progress. Yeah, that's a great little analogy there. Nice and vivid. Um, well, I spend a little bit too much time in Malibu every once in a while. But. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've traipsed up and down a number of sand dunes in your day uh, for Instagram. So, yeah, that was my takeaway is that there were a number of stretches in this game. And I don't think it's really a commentary on Steph or what he couldn't do, but more a commentary on how impressive the Raptors were. Because there were a number of times tonight where, like, it looked like the Warriors were were about to get rolling. Steph would hit a couple shots. They would get a couple stops. They would cut, like, a 13 or 14-point lead to seven. Oracle would be going nuts. And it just seemed like the whole game was about to take on a life of its own and become one of those kind of iconic playoff memories where you where you walk out and say, how the hell did the Warriors get that win? Like, are you kidding me? Is this team real? And then the Raptors would just snuff that out with like a, a 25-foot Kawhi 3 or Lowry or Van Vliet or whoever it might be. They just had answers over and over again. And, yeah, um, I never really got to that point of like believing that it was going to happen. I think just because of the consistency of who's hitting shots to answer, right? It's like Golden State, I thought, really struggled defensively throughout a large portion of this game. But 
I mean, how close did Golden State even get it? Like seven? They got it within seven. I believe that was the closest they got after like the first quarter. Um, yeah. And the the issue for me is that they couldn't get stops. And obviously some of that is just like clutch shooting from everyone on the Raptors roster. But also, I mean, you take Looney off the floor and they just don't have guys who can guard and kind of anchor that defense. And they just looked lost for long stretches of this game. And so obviously they miss Clay more than anybody, but like I thought they missed Looney just as much in this. Look, if I'm going to come on here and go for hours... And that's hours, like a very blog boy take, I apologize. Yeah. Not, but, not just his fault, though, because I think if, you know, if we're going to come on here for hours and praise Draymond, we got to say when he had a bad game. And I thought Draymond was completely worked in this game again. Second time in three games where he's been outplayed, lost his matchup, you know, pretty handily. You're talking about not having a defensive anchor, you know, somebody who's supposed to be that backline guy and keep everybody organized and, and all that stuff. That's supposed to be Draymond in this situation, with especially without Looney. He didn't do it. I mean, they did not look organized. They did not look structured. They did not move and rotate very well. Um, and I think probably what happened was Toronto looked at the game two game tape and was like, look, our offense was really rough, especially in the third quarter, but we did generate good shots. You guys have to, you know, get back to that confident groove that you were in in game one. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, a lot of the shots that they were hitting, those backbreaking shots were good shots. You know, I mean, Golden State was conceding, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, not, wide open looks. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like. But at the same time, though, like there was there was moments here, too, where it just kind of felt like the destiny was on Toronto's side a little bit. Like, that's why I didn't really buy into this idea of, like, Steph's going to put up a 60-point game and lead this crazy comeback. Well, like, I Danny Green's playing, like, 2014-style Danny Green, like, just draining crazy three-pointers from everywhere. And, you know, to me, like, we said the truth was somewhere in the middle for him between game one and game two. That's what I said anyways. Yep. And instead, he was, like, twice as good as game one. And, and when that happens, I mean, it, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, can I read you this Draymond quote from, from post-game? Please. He says... Everybody wants to see us lose, so I'm pretty sure people are happy they're still hurt. We just got to continue to battle and win the next game. Go back to Toronto, win game five. Come back to Oracle, win game six, then celebrate. Fun times ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we talked about the confidence coming out of game one, but coming out of game three to say that... um, I don't know, man. I do respect the Warriors. Doesn't that lead you towards the sacrificing idea if he's if he's not a even a little gonna, bit, a little <laughs> bit? Okay, it's certainly plausible, and I just don't know what to make of this team anymore because again, like they are alarmingly shorthanded in some of these matchups where they're counting on guys who should not be on the floor. You compared them to the 2015 Cavs. I don't remember the Cavs looking quite that shaky outside LeBron. I mean, like, Amon Shumpert was still an NBA player at this point, or at that point. But, like, some of these guys, I don't I don't know. Um, so that's where we are with the Warriors. We're still on KD watch. I still can't believe that we're, this is just kind of a complete wild card, and we have no idea when he's going to be back. I would assume that Clay is coming back for Game 4. I don't want to do the thing where we sit here and overreact to what just happened, uh, but it certainly feels like this is going to get interesting. And like, if I had to bet, it's going to go seven games, and you and I are going to be on the road for 21 straight days and losing our minds by the end, running out of clean laundry. I mean, that's what I'm—I'm I'm mentally preparing for that outcome at this point. 
You all right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I was having visions of going back and forth through customs like three more times uh, as we're doing this. But um, I think that who's available in game four will tell us a lot because I've been saying what for a month. You bring Katie back after the second loss, right? Yeah. So that that is sort of representative of this idea that like you're sort of playing it as conservatively as you possibly can play it. You don't bring the guys back until you need them. Mm-hmm. If he's not on the court in game four, that is like the biggest possible red flag. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, I mean, what are we waiting? What are you waiting for at that point? Right? Well, and, and part of me wonders like, would you really bring him back on the road? Like there have been a number of people who have floated KD coming back in game five, and maybe that's how this will play out. But to me, I think it's kind of insane to potentially bring him back in the middle of like Scotiabank Arena, Jurassic Park going insane outside, the Warriors potentially down 3-1. Although, my Warriors 3-1 comeback is now in play once again, which would be, again, just a phenomenal bookend to this whole stupid era. But, uh, I guess, I mean, doesn't that seem crazy to you? My point is that if you're not going to be able to win when Steph scores 47, and Clay, even when he comes back, he's going to be dealing with a hamstring. So that's not like an ankle, right? This is the time you need him. Like, I think the message from game three, uh, is reiterating one that we've kind of been repeating for the last couple of weeks is they need Kevin Durant in this series. Uh, no question about it. And so if he's not ready to go in game four, I mean, they've officially reached the, the tipping point to me, right? Yeah. And so I think that will kind of determine, you know, how this series goes. If he comes back in game four, then I could see Draymond's little pet scenario playing out. Uh, If not, like, if he just can't come back, we're not guaranteed a game seven. I mean, Toronto is playing very strong basketball. Minus about, I would say, 18 minutes uh, of game two. They've been by far the better team, the steadier team, the smarter team, the more reliable team in this series. So, you know, if you're telling me, like we're we're definitely going to see a long series even without Kevin. I'm not ready to say that. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. And, and I think the the reason to short Warriors stock more than anything right now is the defense is just a mess. And so I like you can convince me that the Warriors are going to be able to score enough. And even they were able to score enough tonight because obviously Steph was out of his mind. But like they found enough answers on offense to make it a game. The defense was just completely hopeless, and and that's gonna be the case if Draymond isn't at an A plus level, and um, you know, but they're also counting on guys who just aren't very good on defense. Like Quinn Cook is gonna be a liability every minute he's on the floor, and I believe he played like 27 minutes tonight. Uh, and then Bogut, Bogut was solid somehow. I have no idea how. I mean, he really does look like he's. 50 years old out there, like one of those NFL kickers who they wheel onto the field. But uh, he he held his own. Boogie, not as much. And I think this was kind of a regression to the guy that we saw in game one. Yeah, we predicted that one. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that you're, you're on to a lot of uh, correct things when you're looking at their rotation. I mean, they've got some holes. There's no question about it. And defensively, um, like, what's their best defensive five with this group? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't like, know. It's, like, it's pretty rough. It's like when people talk about the Sacramento Kings and are like, well, does Dave Yeager just not coach defense? Like, has he forgotten how to do that since Memphis? And it's like, no. Like, when you're playing Marvin Bagley and Bielitsa and the other guys that the Kings were relying on this year, like, 
your defense is going to suck. And the same is true with the Warriors right now. It's like they're just counting on guys who are not going to be able to hang on that end. Yeah, I mean, I think we should give Toronto's offense a lot of credit. I mean, 30 assists on 43 baskets, that's an excellent ratio. I mean, their ball movement to me was awesome. The balance is really what stood out. All five starters in double figures pretty early. All five starters being huge scoring threats. And that will make, you know, if, if you don't have a weak link in your starting five, that will expose your opposing defenders so much more quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no one they can really cheat off of. Uh, they were getting pounded inside early, pounded outside late. I mean, they were just pretty much getting worked, um, you know, on, on every part of the court. And that does a little bit go back to the 2015 finals where Cleveland was having trouble with that stuff too. It was like, you know, Golden State was finding different guys and kind of beating them uh, in ways they didn't expect. They're putting all this effort into stopping Curry. The other guys are stepping up. Iguodala winds up having some pretty key moments. And their defense is just, you know, by the end of it, it's just spinning in circles. And they're in all these matchup issues with their big guys and, and struggling to kind of figure that part out. So I just think another parallel, it's happening there. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some questions. You said that you had an angry note from a termite for me. Do you want to jump in with that? So this guy's name is MD Mez. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. So first of all, he messaged me at 6.45 a.m. the other morning. He was just (laughs) like really upset with you because you were so excited to buy game two and he thought you weren't giving the Raptors any chance whatsoever. Uh, We hashed it out, but he had a very interesting counter take to a lot of what we're saying here, okay? Okay. He says, as a Raptors fan, I have to say, although it felt great to get the Game 3 W, I did not come away from this game feeling encouraged about the Raptors' chances at all. Before this game, I thought they'd even be able to put up an okay fight against a fully healthy Warriors squad, but somewhere between that 18-0 run last game and then this game being way closer than the score indicated, I'm losing faith. I know the Raptors shot over 50% and the supporting cast around Kawhi was great tonight, but I can't help but feel that was more of a testament to a depleted Warriors team rather than the Raptors actually playing well. Do you guys think the Raptors should leave Game 3 feeling confident, or does the possibility of a KD and Clay return for Game 4 basically mean that the Raptors are toast? So talk about somebody not being able to enjoy the moment, Andrew. I thought this was a pretty triumphant night for Raptors fans, and I mean, we heard... Hundreds of their fans were in the lower bowl after the game singing Oh Canada at the top of their lungs and chanting Let's Go Raptors. Yep. Really making a statement the likes of which we haven't seen since the White House was, White House was burned in the 19th century. Um, <laughs> nice deep cut. Okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they were really trying to stun out here. I think they were feeling good about themselves, and yet he's kind of going the other direction. Do you understand his ex- anxiety, or is this a case of somebody 
trying to temper their expectations too much. No, I think he might be tempering his expectations a little bit too much. If I were a Raptors fan, I would have felt pretty doomed (laughs) after game two because I think a lot of people, a lot of NBA reporters we've talked to, a lot of fans I've talked to have said, you know, okay, so if the Raptors are going to win this series, they need to go up 2-0. That's their shot. And we felt like they had that shot in game two and they missed their opportunity and it just wasn't going to end well from there. But coming into Oracle, getting the win, now you're playing with house money in game four. You got two more games at home. Like, I I would feel pretty pumped if I were a Raptors fan. I think this now gives you life for the next week or so. And um, so I understand if people want to be, like, super sober about all of this. But uh, I think, like, tonight they kicked ass. And you're right. They deserve a lot of credit for making those open shots and making a lot of shots that we've seen, like, the Rockets miss the last couple of years. And just, like, coming through in ways that we haven't seen other Warriors challengers come through and in ways that we haven't seen the Raptors come through. Right, but there's some different circumstances here. There's no question about it, right? Like, I just think... Well, yeah, that, this is, like, half like, a Warriors team. Right, like, the invulnerability, right? Or the like G-League the League Warriors, the Santa Cruz Warriors are out in full force tonight. Right, I mean, like, this... Like I said, I never really thought Steph got control of this game as spectacularly as he played. It's not his fault, but that's how overmatched they were. Uh-huh. They never established themselves defensively defensively uh they had a really good crowd especially early but they weren't able to kind of like turn that into sort of the cauldron that we've seen here a lot of times where it just swallows teams up and makes people make mistakes they weren't able to get out and run a team off the court like they do a lot of times at home the intimidation factor to me it really wasn't there tonight and i I think you know these are different circumstances right like i don't know if we should be necessarily seeding uh, all of this uh, trust in, in the Warriors, like the Warriors myth that they built up here over the last five years, because the Warriors aren't all there. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the group that has uh, inspired so much fear and doom, half of them are in the locker room. And even Cousins left the court again early tonight. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, he had a really poor game again, uh, you know, very well, similar to game one. And even game two, the vaunted game two, where we were like, well, that was just a masterpiece from them. That's why they're champions. They were basically scoreless through the second half of the fourth quarter. Once Clay went off the floor, they were a different team. And so you could predict some struggles once. I, I honestly was shocked that Clay didn't play. So I didn't really wrap my head around that possibility until about five minutes before game time when I saw the, one of the reporter next to me said, like, Clay's not playing. I'm like, holy shit, really? Speaking of which, um, I saw two reporters threatened to fist fight each other oh. in the media area afterwards. Now my favorite uh, memory of the finals. Wait, so what was the cause of the fist fight disturbance? Honestly, there was an extension cord at issue. Oh. And one of the reporters yelled at the other reporter, no, you've lost your privileges to solve this problem. Oh. And the other reporter was like, F you. And then some like, Profanity was exchanged for about 30 seconds, and then one of the reporters was like, all right, one of the reporters challenged him to a fight, and then the other one was like, let's both finish our stories, and then we'll settle this. And he, like, put his dukes up, so 
That's now the most indelible sequence for me at the finals. Um, yeah, usually it takes us like 45 minutes of, ar- <laughs> of arguing about Harden's field goal percentage until we get to that point. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, here we are, you know. Um, fist fights and all. The finals are here. We're going to have to contract some personal security for game four. I don't, <laughs> and this doesn't sound like a healthy worth environment at all. I've never seen it get quite that real among the reporters, uh, but... Let's dive into some more questions here. Jesse says, I'm watching Van Vliet hit a 60-foot arching rainbow dagger and thinking of Andrew, and it makes me wonder, Sharp, are you ready to pick Toronto yet? Ooh. My answer is a firm no. I did get hated on by a number of emailers who were mad at me for saying I didn't necessarily trust some of the Raptors role players. Um... And I stand by that. I don't think I'm going to trust them until they actually win the title. I th- I believe in Toronto's strength as a team. Um, I think like that dynamic is a lot more um, credible than some of those guys as individuals. But I do think like they're beginning to feel a lot like the 04 Pistons to me, where like these guys they just fight. They're proud and they're tough as hell and. Um, and they're going to be really tough to beat no matter what. So um, I think you're kind of burying the lead. So you were creeping around the tunnel following Fred Van Vliet around because <laughs> he had a backpack that had his initials logo on it. And I saw you taking a picture of it. Now, were you doing that so that you could like print out that picture and then like make a little decal and stick it to your backpack so you didn't actually have to buy one of his backpacks? Or what was going through no. your mind when you were doing all Here's this? Here's the deal, okay? <laughs> I am going to make a wildly irresponsible purchase on Fred Van Vliet's store, um, or in Fred Van Vliet's store, fvvshop.com. I'm looking at some of the outerwear right now. But Wait, I, is this an ad read, or you're just looking it, on the website? Yeah, this is free ad for fvvshop.com. Um, what I would, I like, if I could buy his $400 fred van vliet branded leather backpack i might do it just to commemorate a raptors title but that's that's the deal if the raptors win i'm gonna buy something ridiculous from from the van vliet shop if the raptors win the best troll they could possibly come up with is becoming a sponsor on our show and making us read like nicknurse.com <laughs> fredvanvliet.com you know like like claw.com or whatever else and, and have to like you know go through all those uh questions no I, I, as incredible as his shot was, and it was great. Yep. I thought, you know, from that position for Toronto, Lowry was just night and day from who he had been earlier in this series. I mean, he's hitting shots. He's running the offense. I think he had nine assists. I mean, he's doing some of the little stuff too. But, I mean, where was this guy the first couple of games? And they look so much different when he's actually, like, really actively involved, contributing, orchestrating, and doing all that stuff that we came to expect from him you know, three or four years ago when he's up there with like the top 10 real plus minus guys in the league and he, he's earning all NBA and all-star type honors. Uh, he showed up in a way that uh, I was starting to question whether that just wasn't going to be part of who he was, you know, yeah. in, in this series anyways. Yeah, I mean, he averaged 10 points through the first two games and I believe he was either 6 of 20 or 6 of 30. Yeah, 6 of 20. And then tonight, 8 of 16, 23 points, 9 assists. I mean... He was every bit as good as they needed him to be, and and we said that coming out of game two. Like I compared him to Matthew Delvadova. Like he needs to be better than that and make some shots for them to have a chance in these games. And uh, he's another guy who like stepped up in a big way. And for all the people who said I counted the Raptors out, 
literally in the middle of the podcast, I said I knew in my core that the Raptors were going to come back and haunt us for the rest of this series, haunt me specifically, and make this go six or seven games. Um, and it honestly could go five. Like the, the Warriors are vulnerable enough now that we have to at least entertain that possibility. Yeah, um, it, it's possible. I'm not sure I completely see it, but it should be discussed. I mean, you know, it is possible that game four would be the last night in Oracle Arena. And that's going to be a story, I think, here over the next couple of days as people get ready for game four of, uh, you know, is is this Warriors era going to end in a way that a lot of people didn't anticipate uh, that much earlier? So, all right, question from Axel here. He says, if the Warriors lose to the Raptors before Durant comes back, that would make them 1-2 and two in the finals without KD. Ooh. They only got that one win because it was LeBron and Jimmy Butler's third stringers playing out there. Again, nice shout-out to the 2015 finals. So, Axel asks, are the Warriors without KD nothing more than a good regular season team? Well, I got to give him respect just for getting out in front of <laughs> all of this, like stories. You know what I mean? Like, he's very early in the... Uh, in the obituary writing game, you know, yeah. it's like writing uh, somebody's I mean, dead. Like I you don't know. have to give Axel any respect. Okay, this okay. is why I'm rooting for the Warriors to actually win this series because I think that they are genuinely great and, and as great as everyone has always said and deserve to be remembered that way throughout history. And I got into an argument with someone um, at dinner the other night, another media member, who said, you know. No matter what, people are going to remember them that way. The smart people know how great Steph Curry is. The smart people know how great Draymond Green is. And I told him, like, that's not how this shit works. Because if they lose, their narrative is going to be rewritten. And people are going to say the Warriors were not the same team without KD. And there's going to be all these kind of lingering asterisks throughout the years. And... For me, it'll be pretty frustrating because I think all these guys are legitimately awesome and deserve the credit. Um, yeah, so I was giving him credit for getting in, in front of some narratives that yeah. haven't really bubbled up yet. I'm not necessarily saying I agree yeah, with them. I'm not saying Anyways, you do. but I do think that the revisionism would come, assuming they lose this series. I think it would actually, in a way, probably benefit Kevin more than the it others would. because for the longest time, he was the unnecessary piece, right? He was the bandwagoner. He was the guy who hopped on and... Even some people in this suite right now didn't want to give him credit for the finals MVPs that he got <laughs> in those two years. And look, look I understand. Man, it's we a, can fist fight right here <laughs> in the suite. Look, you've had enough with the extension Sweet court. Sweet life takes a dark turn here. Okay. Uh, but I think that he, his role in the whole thing to this point, to me, has been underrated. Yeah. Right? And I think that would they lose... That might come back to earth a little bit. Now, unfortunately, in the short term, I think it would just be a whole bunch of jokes and mocking at the Warriors' expense. I completely agree with uh, Draymond when he says everybody wants to see us lose. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who uh, want to pierce that the myth of the Warriors, right? Like they figured everything out. They want the um, you know the light years talk to kind of be shoved back in their face. It's very easy to uh, you know be jealous and resent a team that's kind of. Uh, synonymous with Silicon Valley and has a brand new billion dollar stadium opening up and all the other things that you know other fan bases look at and think well we have no way to compete with this so screw these guys yeah I mean uh, they're an easy team to hate for oh, a lot of different reasons so, no, no question namely about it namely Draymond coming out after game three and saying we'll be celebrating in six days uh, but I just don't think that 
it, long term, big picture, that Steph's legacy, Draymond's legacy, or Clay's legacy would be hurt that much if they lose this series because these guys aren't done yet. You know, they're going to be back next year, Maybe. the year after, and, and the year after that, competing sort of with or without KD. Now, you could have an open question are they going to win another title? Uh, how are they going to, you know, handle their salary cap with all those guys having huge deals coming in? Is it going to enter a different era? Uh, maybe so, but uh, to me, they're still all going to be Hall of Famers easily. They're still going to be remembered as uh, a dynastic team, you know, for making five straight finals. I mean, a lot of their accomplishments are already kind of in the history books. You know what I mean? Like they're, uh, you know, they've done things that Jordan's teams never did. They did things that Magic's teams never did. Yeah. Bird's teams never did. And assuming we are still here as a planet in a hundred years, they're going to get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, um, I hope so. Uh, wow. <laughs> a little dark twist there at the end of the legacy talk. Uh, who knows where yeah. we'll be. In Just <laughs> Don't celebrate burying the Warriors too much because we're not going to be alive in yes, 30 years. None <laughs> of this is going to matter. In 2050, we'll all be underwater. Uh, great finals perspective there from <laughs> Ben Golliver. Um, yes, I understand what you're saying, and that it sort of echoes the sentiment that my buddy was saying at dinner the other night. I just think that it will all get a lot more complicated, and there are going to be a lot of people jumping out saying these guys were never quite as good as the media told us, and the truth ultimately shown through on the biggest stage and that's the way it all like I yeah, just, well look dumb people are going to say dumb things i also think if you look at that 2017 team going 16 and 1 through the playoffs just running every single uh, team off the court playing probably the best basketball look, even 2016 like they should have won the title kiki yeah. took the title from them oh and that's something like we i'm glad uh -oh. that lebron won it i think uh -oh. that's that was really cool too but like if we're being real about all that they should have won in 2016. Canada, so. I hope you're liking this. All it took was six Danny Green threes for conspiracy theory sharp to, to Well, win. and that's the other side of the dinner conversation where people are like, oh my God, like, wouldn't it be great for Marcus Soule and Kyle Lowry to get a title? And I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I don't think they need a title. Those guys are going to be appreciated regardless. Um, so, Andrew, you know how you make fun of me uh, for going to places like Burger King to eat poutine by myself? Yes. You know what Saddest I. Saddest meal I've ever heard about. But do you know what doesn't happen when I do that? Uh, what? I don't have to get in these horrible arguments with people that then come on a, a no, podcast and no, talk trash no. about. Look, man, this is just the Socratic method at the NBA Finals. You know, bouncing ideas off of people. How are we going to remember this? It's the, one of the best parts about being here. But, um, yes, maybe we can – next time we can have that conversation over poutine and onion rings at some desolate Burger King in, like, <laughs> northern Ontario. Well, game um, five is coming up quicker than you know, all right brandon in la says who you got next year Kawhi or lebron i think that's a pretty good question that's a really good question i mean first of all who's gonna play more games I, probably lebron right <laughs> yeah i mean what's the lesson for Kawhi? just well because play 50 yeah and lebron goes into this terminator mode where he tries to play every single game and i think he probably would have done that had he not been injured and had the season not been lost by the very end um and so Kawhi, it does seem like is going to be on this 60 game timeline for the rest of his career and well, so what are we are we saying who's gonna have better numbers who's gonna be a bigger star who's gonna win more 
Who you got, man? It's an open-ended question. Take it whatever direction you want. Well, I care about winning, so I'm, I, you know, I feel like LeBron's in kind of a situation where they're screwed. I mean, I don't know how they're going to get out of this hole, you know. And like, even mm. if you give him a second star, uh, even if you give him a really good second star, I think that their roster is so thin. I have questions about their coach, their front office, their ownership, all of it. That okay. I think they're they're up such a. I mean, there's such a steep mountain for them to climb to even get back to relevance that i'll take my shot with Kawhi because i'm assuming he's going to go to a team that's going to be much better suited to win in the short term uh so i guess by default i'm taking Kawhi. okay well that is not a fun way to answer the question let's say if we were starting a team <laughs> from so you, scratch you just told me to take whatever I know, direction you i did. wanted listen then credit to you you took it in the most literal direction possible which player is going right. to win more why games. don't you answer the question all right what i would say is that i think that lebron is probably going to be a better more valuable player than Kawhi leonard next year and Regular season or postseason? Or both? uh, Both. Both. I think LeBron has one more all-time season in him. I actually am higher on the Lakers' chances this summer than you are. I think that they're going to be able to pull some stuff out of their ass and and come back next year. Okay, so paint paint the group or the core that gets them out of the second round in the Western Conference. Okay, so potentially... Bradley Beal potentially <laughs> I'm not kidding Why? he's just the answer well, to every question no, for you look Beal would be a great fit next to LeBron I don't understand only with you is Beal like a punchline okay I've talked to other people who are like yeah Beal in LA would actually be pretty helpful so to get to the Western Conference Finals um I think Beal that, just won 30 games but Beal I mean look <laughs> Beal with Troy Brown is a big difference. There's a big difference between Beal with Troy Brown and Beal with LeBron James. So I'm willing to give Beal the benefit of the doubt as far as contributing to winning. Um, but Has he ever done it? Uh, yeah, of course. And, and he's also come through in the playoffs before. Um, in the in, Eastern Conference playoffs. <laughs> look, God damn it. I mean, look how even this series is. We took away oh, five of Golden State's boy. players. They had 11 guys warming up. I don't, did you see that actually before game three? What? I mean, their warm-up lines. They had 11 people out there. It's just like... <laughs> Who? The Warriors. Yeah, it's uh, it's dicey right now with the Warriors. Okay, so it's LeBron, it's Beal, and then a bunch of minimum. Yeah, well, I think LeBron, with any number of stars, is going to be able to make some noise in the Western Conference playoffs. Because the West is not super deep right now. I think that's sort of the other hidden story. Is like coming in next year, the tables have already turned to a degree where I think the conferences are, are about even right now, particularly mm. at the top. Mm. But next year... If the Clippers don't get Kawhi, it's going to be like Golden State, Houston, and then there's kind of a big gap. Um, and I think LeBron's going to be able to to make a little bit of noise there. Kawhi, though, and the reason I bring this up, I just I wonder about his health. This playoff run would be a much bigger statement from him and, and would probably matter more if we could count on him being healthy for the next five years. Um but that's kind of a wild card to me. And so, I, like, even in this series, like, he hasn't looked very healthy. And I, I just worry about kind of the nagging injuries that could pop up with him over the next few years. Yeah, no, I hear that. I mean, I don't think that LeBron is risk-free from a health standpoint. I didn't. I mean, yeah. it didn't seem like Kawhi really dominated this game. He still finished with 37-6 and six in the finals. 
against a team that's got multiple all-defense level guys in, in their past in Iguodala and Draymond, and they didn't really have an answer for him. So um, I think the age difference favors Kawhi. I think this playoff run and how he was able to kind of step his game up when they needed it favored him. I think he's going to have better options in terms of where he can land than LeBron. Uh, he's going to have to, you know, do less praying. Like Bradley Beal is not going to be the difference between <laughs> any now, sort of playoff you know relevance. What, now I need the Wizards to trade Bradley Beal just so you can be proven wrong next year. He's He's got to go to either the Knicks with Look, KD I like, or the Lakers with LeBron. I think Bradley Beal is really good, but I... I mean, he's like in the twenties of the of players or thirties. You know what I mean? Like he's. Not... I would put him in the in the late teens. But oh. Yeah. He's well, he's in the low twenties, late teens. You know, oh. potato, potato, whatever. I guess. I I, I think he's going to be dangerous. Though. Just remember, you stopped watching his team play because they were so bad this year. Like you couldn't oh. even bring yourself to turn the TV on. You know. Yeah, what I mean? but that there's like. 10 to 15 years of history wrapped up in that decision. That's not just about Bradley Beal. I'm just saying, if he, was a, if he was a top 20 player, uh-huh. you would be able to get past all of that to just take in, like, you know, this stage of his career. Like, you're going to remember this year of, like, him trying to pull the team through all this drama and adversity. And, you know, you couldn't even work to. up the – you couldn't muster up the uh, the fortitude to do that. I would and I don't blame you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> If I could pour bleach onto the, my, all my Wizards memories over the last two years, I would. Um, not sure that's how memories work, but <laughs> Raul says, if Kyrie Irving goes to the Nets without another free agent, is that team any better than this year's Boston team? Is it perhaps worse? I assume they'd just be swapping out Kyrie for D'Angelo, which is an upgrade, but how much of an upgrade? I ask this as a Kyrie Irving stan, but one who is skeptical of such a move working out. Well, he's not going to Brooklyn to win. What do you? What's he going to Brooklyn for? I mean, to escape the damage of that he caused in Boston, to give himself a new chapter, to be in a bigger market. I mean, you're, you're not going to Brooklyn to try to compete for a title. Are you a believer in the Anthony Davis to Brooklyn rumors that have been percolating? It's so hard to imagine Sean Marks, this guy who's like going into a room to accost referees after uh, a loss, mm-hmm. is going to be like the biggest swinger of the entire summer. And it's also hard to believe that they would successfully flip Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Rodion's Karuks for Anthony Davis. But it would be consistent with every other superstar sweepstakes that we've seen over the last couple years. This always ends in a weird place. Uh, There's a twist at the end that nobody sees coming. Yeah. Um, And then for that reason, I I can't totally dismiss it. But um, I think that if Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant ties their careers to Kyrie Irving that would be a horrible mistake for either one of those guys Mm. and they should tie their careers together with the New York Knicks wait what do you mean I think Anthony Davis he already put the Knicks on his list you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. I agree with that so if he can get himself to New York and Kevin goes to New York that's a great partnership the two you know Anthony Davis and Kyrie in Brooklyn I mean see I think Anthony Davis and Kyrie would be a really tough partnership i think that they would actually do a lot of damage together i think Kyrie and kevin durant would be an absolute nightmare can i read you Kyrie's instagram caption from i believe govball over the weekend please says hermetic friends incorporated 
My light, brother and sisters, the age of no more secrets is upon us. World peace will be achieved in our lifetime, and we better effing believe it. Let them have the, the fabricated bullshit that genuine love and energy spreads all over the world. I see all. I am. So, do you have any free agency analysis off of that caption? I don't know what that means, but I do think his gimmick has started to run out here a little bit, don't you think? <laughs> well, I mean, he's just ramping it up higher and higher. But, I, I mean, there's some other very, you know, famous people, politicians, other athletes who have kind of like, you know, have that shtick that they just keep kind of going back to and back to, and they have to kind of keep getting wilder and wilder to get the level of attention. Yeah. And I think that... There was a little bit of a reckoning on Kyrie in these playoffs, and everybody realized, like, yeah, he's not actually a top-five player. He's not somebody who you can build a title team around. And so given that we've got a really interesting finals, given that there's these other free agents who are out there with decisions coming, you know, and guys in this series, and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, who are going to really shape the, the league, that almost seems like a trifle to me now. Yeah, you know... Good old coffee shop just keeps on bringing it. Um, I, I agree that I kind of rolled my eyes at that one. The other day I tweeted that I just remembered that Kyrie Irving once said Christmas is a fake holiday. And somebody responded to me with the quote, someone once said that everything sounds deep when you don't read books, which I think oh, is a perfect. pretty good way to yeah. explain Kyrie. Um, and, you know, his Instagram caption there I don't want to offer any, like, genuine analysis, but th this guy could just retire one day and, like, really could just, like, go off the deep end and be like, I'm going to go live in the middle of North Dakota and, like, live my best life, at which point we would all wish him the best. But Yeah, I, I mean, to pull this back to basketball, reality, yeah. um, if I'm the Nets, I'd rather have D'Angelo than Kyrie. And if, I, if I'm, like, Atkinson... What they've tried to build there, what they've been preaching for the last five years, you're better off rewarding D'Angelo, empowering D'Angelo, than going mm. against everything you've said. And oh yeah, we're just going to bring in this mercenary Kyrie who is going to have no loyalty to your organization, and we see how things go when they go bad for him. So uh, at I various agree with spots. that to a point, except that I think that if Kyrie is the guy who brings you the second star, go get Kyrie. And that's the same reason the Celtics are going to try to keep Kyrie, and it's the same reason the Knicks would be interested in Kyrie. I don't think there's any question that whoever pays that dude is going to be taking a massive risk, and most of those teams will probably know that going in. That Like, look, this guy has a sketchy injury history. He's had times... I think that's the underplayed element in all this, is as much as people want to nitpick his decision-making and his mindset... There were times at the end of that Celtics season where he just looked old. It looked like his, his joints were, were kind of aching and he wasn't moving very well. Now the truth comes out well, from and the, it, the jilted Celtics fan. And it, All do, right. it doesn't help that he had that beard where he began to actually look like Uncle Drew in some of those press conferences. And so um, mm. I would proceed with caution no matter what, but if you're the Nets, you do that deal, and I think there are a lot of Nets fans who, who feel otherwise and say, no, let's keep D'Angelo, let's keep building with the core we yeah. have. But you do that deal if it if it opens the door to somebody else. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I can see where the Nets fans are coming from on that one. Um, I am the, one of the world's biggest D'Angelo skeptics, obviously, but um, you know the, the cost comparison between what you have to pay Kyrie versus what you have to pay D'Angelo the age gap, um, the idea that like 
you know, do you really want to be a team that needs Kyrie to get another star? And if there's another star who's like insisting on playing Kyrie with Kyrie, do you want that star? <laughs> I mean, question that person's decision making too. So, as much as we talk about how weak the East is, imagine how differently we would talk about Anthony Davis's career if right. he had played the last eight or nine well, years in the East. We could say that about every single guy. Look no further than Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> well, it's true. And if I and if I had a chance to, to trade for Anthony Davis and bring him East, oh my God, I would do whatever it took. Uh, if, even if that means tying my fortunes to Hermetic Friends East um, or Hermetic Friends Inc., whatever Kyrie is putting forth out into the world right now. Well, one other reason to avoid that specific partnership, though, is that the injury concerns you described about Kyrie are also applied to Anthony Davis, right? And so now you're putting two guys together who would be on gigantic contracts with significant injury histories of being banged up, in and out of the lineup, and so forth. That would make me pretty nervous. Okay, well... Um Accidental segue to our next question here. Trey says, question about the Pelicans and Anthony Davis. Given how well this season has gone for the Raptors, how willing should the Pels be to take Davis into the season with Zion and Drew Holiday and just see what shakes out? That is a pretty tantalizing trio. On the flip side, will this Raptors run maybe convince some teams other than the Lakers, Celtics, and Knicks to give it a shot with one year of Davis next season? What do you think? I think on the second one, yes, we can say that there are probably going to be some wild cards thrown in the mix for AD. Mm -hmm. Nets are going to be one of them. Um, I would love the Nuggets to potentially roll the dice. God, it would be fun to see him in Portland as well. Um but I mean, yeah, I don't see what those teams Portland really have. can't really get in the mix. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what those teams would would necessarily have to offer, um, especially on a rental situation. Like the better you are, you know, it has to be like everything just has to kind of break right where you don't have a whole your core can't be like a, a bunch of super young guys, right? Because it's sort of like with Toronto. The reason why they were willing to take the risk to tr- make that it, trade, yeah, and it for wasn't Kawhi. a risk for the Raptors. Yeah, there was no risk because you know if it blows up, you know it blows up and you just reload or whatever, you know, a year or two down the, the road. Whereas if you're Denver and you trade away who it would take Harris and Murray to get Davis, and he decides to leave after a year, well, then you just blew, you know you shot your own foot off. Yeah, I don't think Denver would ever do it if they had to give up either Jokic or Murray. They're but, not trading Jokic. Well, I know they're not trading Jokic. Yeah. Okay, so Murray though. Yeah. If they if they can do it without giving up Jamal Murray, yeah. then... So, but don't you think that Davis is going to command more than that? Like, if I'm the Knicks, I'm going to give them both the Dallas first-round picks. I'm going to give them R.J. Barrett, and I'm going to give them Mitchell Robinson yes. and whatever other filler. Yeah. So already, haven't, why, haven't they priced themselves out of those the, the are Denver group? high-in-the-sky, right. 1 a.m., let's throw them in the mix options. But the Blazers are even more hopeless than the Nuggets in these conversations. Right. Um, but No, so I'm just kind of saying it would take a very specific set of circumstances for a team to be able to give them a good package as a rental. Yeah. And I think there are teams that are that are not looking at the rental. Like They're on his list. They're feeling like they could have a chance to re-sign him who are going to be willing to part with a lot of stuff where it's just a different market than the Kawhi thing, right? Because if you were a really bad team last year, did you want to trade for Kawhi as your main guy and like clear the whole decks for him and like trade a whole bunch of you know draft picks Yeah. for a guy who is going to, first of all, be a threat to leave to LA and also demand to not play 20 games in the season? I mean, that's a conversation we need to have at the end of all this. If the Raptors actually win, we can go back and look at the stuff that teams were right. refusing to part with. The Celtics in particular 
refused to put Jalen Brown on the table and probably could have gotten Kawhi if they had done that, um, which is crazy to think about now will be 10 times crazier if Kawhi is holding the Larry O'Brien trophy in but seven at, days. In their defense, was it that crazy at the time? If you if you have this huge fear he's going to leave after a year and you're trying mm. to build like a five-year window and you still believe in Kyrie and you know all these other pieces are kind of coming together, I mean, I can, I can justify that from their standpoint. Yeah, and, and I think the way they justified it at the time was to say we have more faith in Anthony Davis as a superstar than we do as in Kawhi, right. um, which they, I think they were a little bit too confident in their trade package for AD, and that has gone completely sideways on them. Half the Sacramento Kings' fault, but um, that's the way it all goes sometimes. Um, so anyways, I guess to answer his question, if I'm the Pelicans, I don't bring Anthony Davis into the next season. I think that's a fool's errand. I think you maximize your trade value right around the draft for him. I like the idea of getting that number three pick. And if it's RJ, I mean, you've made the case for different guys uh, in that spot. But I think they could do a lot worse than, you know, bringing RJ plus, you know, multiple first round picks in the future and just turn the whole thing over to Zion. Don't have the start of his career clouded by the AD thing hanging over it. Give your fan base a new story. Give your team a new face uh have drew be installed as the veteran leader who everybody loves and can kind of act as like the you know the adult in the room and you know get to a more flexible position where you're not hamstrung by you know davis and just non-stop reports about that i, I made the same case that they should trade him at the deadline and their position has absolutely improved by waiting yep but it's I mean, we're, we're kind of reaching the peak point, right? I mean, the, if they get to the trade deadline or whatever else, like I just don't, I don't know if I ever see well, Davis's trade value increasing for them after, say, like you know, July 10 or something. Yeah, and I agree completely with that um, in large part because Davis is so good that people are going to be willing to put up a lot for him. Right. I think that's what kind of bit the Spurs in the ass is that they got halfway through July last year. And there were so many question marks surrounding Kawhi that the market just kind of disappeared. So that's why everybody's killing them for not getting Siakam and having to pay five million dollars in the deal and taking back Pirtle. And like I the money part was weird. The (laughs) money part was weird, but I also think they just didn't have any alternatives other than to do that deal. Um, And it it seemed like even the Lakers were kind of lowballing them last last summer. Lakers are another team that probably has some buyer's remorse on the Kawhi talks last summer. But um, anyways, I, I agree 100%. I, in large part because I think that the premise of Trey's question is a little bit flawed. Zion, Anthony Davis, and Drew Holiday as a tantalizing trio. I think that's a tantalizing seventh seed, perhaps. I don't see them doing the kind of damage that the Raptors have done this year. I just think it's a headache. I mean, we just saw what Anthony Davis does in New Orleans, you know? I mean, his season was a disgrace. Why do you want to sign up for another year of that? I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they're going to be able to get a, a pretty solid package this summer. All right, Adam says, how would you feel about a trade centered around Chris Paul and Andrew Wiggins? What do you think? Oh, jeez. Um, I wouldn't do it if I was Houston. Uh, I think that... There could be a more favorable Chris Paul trade out there. I think, so are you holding out hope for the Lakers at that yeah, point? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, but I also think that he – I still think that people overstate how untradeable Chris Paul is. 
because um, I do think he's got mm. a, a level of cachet. And, you know, you've got three three years on the contract left, but, you know, the third one he's going to be expiring. Uh, he held up pretty well for most of the season. Um, you know, he, he would be able to help teams, you know, from a playoff standpoint. Uh, yeah, a team I, like the Wolves would, it would actually jump at the chance to acquire Chris Paul. Right. Although I but don't ha- think that list is very long, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. I mean, there's a lot of good point guards in the league. I have to go through it kind of uh, player by player. But, I mean, to me... What good does Wiggins do, Houston? Does he solve any problems for them? Uh, I think if if they traded him, if they traded for Wiggins, they would be looking to strictly like cut salary and and bring back a live body who could potentially help them in a playoff series. And maybe if you squint hard enough at Andrew Wiggins, maybe he can be that guy, and maybe he can take some steps forward in Houston. I'm not really sure what the rationale would be beyond that. Yeah, I mean, cutting the salary, though. So, like, next season he's making 27. The year after that he's making 29. Then he's making 31. <laughs> then he's making 33. So, okay. like, if you're telling me who would I rather pay at their number for the next two or three years, because, again, everything has to be through the James Harden prism, right? Yeah. So we'd rather have Chris Paul on the court in the playoffs with him at whatever, you know, 40 number that he's on or Wiggins on the court in the playoffs at the 30 number, I mean, to me, I'd still take Chris it Paul. Is, it is pretty insane that Chris Paul is going to be making 35, 38, 41, and 44 versus 25, 27, 29, 31. So they'd be saving $10 million, but I, I think that's the, probably yeah. the only way to, to sell it, and that's not a way that the Rockets are going to be able to sell it to fans right now or they'd be, James Harden. They'd be cutting off the nose to spite the beard, man. Okay, Flip side of that, what if James Harden and Chris Paul just don't like each other anymore? That's why you're trading Chris Paul. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I would try to do better than that. That's so you're basically holding out hope that the Lakers get desperate enough to trade for Chris Paul and give you Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. That is a plausible scenario to me. Um, and by the way, I retract any sort of LeBron optimism if the Lakers actually do that. And it, like, I don't even know how he would react. The I, Lakers why? would have to be seized would, by the league office at that point. But that would be so predictable. I mean, I'm already braced for it, aren't you? Yeah. Well, at that point, you have to at least bring back Melo, okay? Just get the whole band back together, become kind of a touring, uh, like, team banana boat operation, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can start going to, like, the jump set and, you know, try to sign those guys as free agents. Tracy McGrady, you know, (laughs) Steven Jackson. Scotty Pippen coming through. (laughs) Absolutely. Sign Rachel, whatever, man. Honestly, Rachel's built a better team (laughs) than Rob Palenka, hasn't she? Yeah, whatever works. I would definitely trust Rachel more than Rob Palenka at this point. Uh, Okay, so... Muffin Boy, uh, love the podcast sometimes, says, please rank these players, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and Zach Levine. What do you think? In that order. Ooh, okay. Um, I, first of all, I think Devin Booker is better than Donovan Mitchell. Second of all, Muffin Boy talked a lot of trash about everybody hating on Donovan Mitchell, and he said that Jazz fans have been owning Suns and Bulls fans on NBA Reddit over the last oh, couple of weeks. Oh, boy. All I would add is that none of these fan bases should be talking trash on behalf of any of these three players. And um, Donovan Mitchell fans in particular should have been a little bit more chastened than they seem to be after the Rocket series because he was shockingly bad in that series. And I'm not saying, like, give up hope. I'm not saying, like, turn your back on Donovan Mitchell. But, like, 
don't be out on the internet picking fights on his behalf. Against Devin Booker and Zach Levine? I think Devin Booker would be phenomenal in Utah. Well, that explains a lot. You like Bradley Beal, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you try to put Bradley Beal in the Devin Booker category. I understand I have a rational faith in Devin Booker. <laughs> The Beal stuff is just objective. He's awesome. All right, Jonathan says, I'm a five-star five podcast reviewer here. What do you think about the Bulls trading for Ben Simmons? I think he'd be a great fit with their four-out roster. I would love, love, Ooh. love, love to put Ben Simmons and Lowry Markinen on the same team. Chicago, trade everything else to make that happen. Give up Wendell Carter Jr. Really? And Zach Levine get Ben Simmons and, and Lowry Markin in, in the same place. Uh, I like the dream scenario. I just uh, I think in general all these teams should be selling higher on these young players. Like the odds of Wendell Carter Jr. actually becoming Al Horford are pretty slim. And so while you can sell the idea that that's the direction his career is going, like if you could trade him for a star like Ben Simmons, like do it. So if you're Philly, what are you, you're playing Carter at the four and Beat at the five? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And Zach how- Levine <laughs> next to Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> the Sixers get a little bit weirder. They'd get a lot weirder. I mean, Levine's contract is huge. I mean, so that's a, a complicating factor here because Simmons wouldn't be on his, his yeah, deal. True. So, you know, reality does set in there a little bit. I, I like this idea in theory, though, because uh, the Bulls have such a huge hole there. They've got a lot of front court talent. To me, that's just going to be dying on the vine next year unless they make some big move at that point guard spot. I mean, even if they do the, the idea of like the Brogdon idea or the Patrick Beverly idea, like, are you going to be maximizing Carter, Markinen, you know, the, the front court guys of your future, or are they going to wind up not quite making as much progress as you hoped because you didn't have like a real elite, like, kind of, you know, above average playmaker in that role yeah where you know simmons you know for all of his faults i think would be able to definitely get you in, into a better pace he would be able to keep those guys open he'd be drawing a lot of attention for driving kick stuff with lowry you can kind of uh, envision some you know pick and pop stuff with carter i mean that would be re- and it would be a lot more fun to watch than the bulls That's what i mean I'm they've been just hideous here the last couple of years with chris dunn so uh i just don't know if Chicago has anything that they would actually be willing to trade that would interest or be a fit in Philly, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I also think that Philly is not going to be able to pull the trigger on a Ben Simmons deal unless they're bringing back like a, an A-level star, um, just because they're not going to be able to sell that internally or externally, so it's not going to happen. But Don't it would think- be fun to put a, yeah. a, a real star in Chicago, give Lowry the help that he needs, because to your point, it's just hard to ever get that excited about the Bulls while Chris Dunn and Zach Levine are still the point guards. <laughs> and like That's going to be true regardless. Maybe they bring in Patrick Beverly this summer. That's cool with me if they want to overpay him. But like That doesn't really change that same fundamental question, <laughs> right? Like It gives you an, a great guy for the media. You know, He'll be quoted as nauseam by every single yeah, local. Yeah, he's a Chicago guy. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't really change their you know their outlook or their prognostication too much yeah don't you think philly though is going to be looking at this playoffs and saying you know what run it back like with the same exact mentality that houston had last year they should and i think if you're a sixers fan or a bucks fan watching these finals 
it's got to be both encouraging and uh, a little bit disheartening. Heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you're like, they don't have to play Clay or KD. Or like, <laughs> I mean, like, we could do this. I was watching the game three tonight and saying, God, like the Bucks would be up 20 or Dude, 30 right now. Imagine Giannis. You know, I was sitting next to a another media member. I won't name him, but he listens to the podcast frequently and, and went out and wrote a very pro-Bucks like you need to be on the Bucks bandwagon. This team is for real. They can challenge the Warriors midway through the playoffs after listening to us for the last six months. And he uh, he was not happy f- with us for no. leading him astray. I mean, propaganda works. I mean, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the takeaway. I mean, you look at all the death spots uh, throughout history. I mean, we're, we're falling in some big footsteps. Yeah, well, on the bright side, none of this is going to matter because we're all going to be underwater in 30 or 40 years. <laughs> so that's the real lesson of Game 3. No, honestly, like, to bring it back to the Chase Center, you know, they had those, like, 30-year agreements with your personal seat licenses. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, did they, like, build in, like... <laughs> climate change protections <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would like the, the the chase center just kind of like detaches from the mainland and it becomes its own little oasis it's, for rich people it's not that far from the bay that's all i'm saying yeah nothing is more dystopian than the bay but hey we're in the suite right now that's all that matters <laughs> from we're, dis- gonna, we're gonna be winners in 2050 from dystopia to the utopia of the Swedes. that's right all right well listen we are gonna be back probably not after game four because our producers are we're not gonna make them work in the weekends but we are going to be back after game five next week tuesday morning and God only knows where we're going to be at that point. There's no question. And geographically, I don't know where we're going to be either. So well, I, I'm going day by day. I think what Steve Kerr said today, every day in the NBA is Wednesday. And then it actually was Wednesday. I'm in every day is Wednesday. Mode. With all due respect to Sweet Life, I can say with 100% certainty, next Monday night, we will be in the gondola live and direct from Scotiabank, and so people can listen to that Tuesday morning. That'll be fantastic. Andrew, they can all email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Obviously, we got some great emails this week. We are peppering them in to another lively post-game pod, so keep those coming. We want to hear your other theories, conspiracy theories, trade scenarios, and all that good stuff for free agency that's coming up. Um, Also, check us out on Apple Podcasts. You heard that guy. He's a five-star reviewer. That helps us out a lot. Find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Maybe throw in a hashtag, gondola life, sweet life, the six. You know, whatever you want to do, spice it up a little bit because we always appreciate that. And our bosses love seeing the interaction from you guys. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. I'm on Instagram at ben.goliver. Help me get above two million followers. I've been working on it for the last three years. I appreciate you guys. Until next week, Andrew, I will talk to you. All right, man.